And what was it like leaving Cork on the boat for Nigeria? Well, I didn't leave Cork on the boat for okay. Nigeria. Too much for that. <laughs> <laughs> Little image in my head. There you are. There you see. another one. <laughs> yes. Uh, the rule was that if you hadn't made your final profession, which was six years after first profession, eight and a half years after you had entered, then you really didn't qualify for home leave. I had not been back to Fermanagh in eight years. But now I was going to mission six months short of the eight and a half years. So I was allowed to go home for one week on the understanding that I would fly from Belfast to London and on to Nigeria. There seemed to be an awful rush on my arrival. Inexperience, no teaching qualification because there were short of staff in the science department. I was sent home for a week without knowing my final year results, which wasn't easy. And somewhere after about four days, I phoned some of my friends in class to go and look to see if I'd passed and I had passed. But that was very severe as well. Very, yeah, not much, not much for the person. My father took me to the airport in Belfast and that's where I flew out from. I flew out with a house in London, a small house. And there I met another sister who was returning to the school that I'd been assigned to teach in. And she's still out there, you know, just imagine. So I flew out with her the first time. What was your first impression landing into Lagos? I just never suffered greatly from first impressions. I was so excited by everything. Do you think I even noticed that the people were black? I didn't. Never dawned on me they were black. But then we were having African sisters come, you know. Again, that was part of our culture. So you weren't expecting anything differently. I think it was the heat. It was the heat, the blast of heat when you came out through the aircraft door was horrendous now. And you began to perspire immediately. We were met. There would have been a lot of missionaries about. We were quite well established. I mean, they'd been there for 80 years, maybe, in one shape or form. And especially since education and health, according to the British system, was underway. You know, our system fitted in a lot and was shaped a lot by them. And education was the key thing that Nigeria evidently desired. And while there were two or three things, there were fireflies and there were like little helicopters in the dark. Dink, dink, dink. And there were crickets and all kinds of night noises. They had just very simple fans in the airport. And I remember saying to myself, well, please God, at least sometime I'll be back in the airport and the fan will blow the air above my head. When I got into the car, I said, well, please God, I'll be in a car sometimes because the whiff of air coming in. So this feeling of being almost smothered by heat and then the fascination of the mosquito net we stayed in one of our convents in Lagos you know people used to sell bacon wrapped in net in butcher shops I had a feeling that you'd be wrapped like that in the mosquito net never thinking that it was a net that fell from four posts on the bed you know so I always remember that you know there's no notion of that God knows how little people know and then the next morning we went to Ibadan, it was the 2nd of October, because I went to St. Teresa's College, a big secondary school for girls. St. Teresa's Feast is on the 3rd of October. So I was brought to be there in time for the celebrations of the school feast. And that was brilliant as well. So, Did you enjoy working in the school? 
Well, I didn't like science. And then I had a double problem because botany was my major. That term that I arrived, they did their exams in December. It was called the Higher School Certificate. It was the equivalent of A-level. So that's what I landed into. And of course, every specimen in Ireland was of the temperate. There wasn't one of those in Nigeria. So I remember after about six or eight weeks, you got a list of what you had to have for the practical in botany. Orange blossoms. Do you think I'd ever seen an orange tree? Or an orange blossom. So then I suppose you began to look for help. There's a sister in the house this week. Well, she's here regularly. Dina Donoghue and her brother was an SMA, Brendan Donoghue. And he taught science in a big college in Lagos. And maybe two or three other SMAs who were teaching science were pulled in to advise me how to deal with this. He died. She had three brothers and... Well, all three brothers died on the mission. It's just unbelievable. He died in an accident. So it was very unsatisfactory that I hadn't dealt with any of these. Number one, the Irish system was quite different, I think, to the British system. The textbooks were different. In chemistry, I taught, but I never was very interested in chemistry because the level you were working at was properties of lead. Notice it was all very learning off. There's no imagination at all in it. You had to do it. The imagination would come, but much later on when they were in university. It was a very high standard. It took me every nth of my first year science to deal with it. And second and third were no use to me. They were too advanced. There was the lack of having a teaching qualification in science would have been serious. So all of that would have impacted. But I think it's just my natural feeling wasn't for science from the word go. I'd never had a desire. But did you feel at home in Nigeria? When you Absolutely, yes, yes. I just I just loved Nigeria and I loved the people because they talked non-stop and so did I. I began to understand the kind of the mores, you know, the the good manners and the refinement and the sophistication. Like, I didn't know that much at that time. And then the school I was in was just lovely. Like, we had... It was very different. You remember I hadn't a good secondary school exposure myself. So we had teams, like, we were in athletics, we were in hockey, we were in every kind of sport. So every afternoon you'd be gone with your team somewhere or other. I remember one of my first... I did my driving test in Nigeria, and the driving vehicle would have been a kit car, a Peugeot good car, but with a canvas back. And I remember my first trip on my own was with a hockey team to another school about 30 kilometres away. I had never driven by myself before and I certainly had never driven at night. So we set off a teacher and maybe 15 students, seven, eight, sitting in the back of and we got a puncher in a village nine miles to our destination, a Franciscan school. Got out. There was no spare wheel. <laughs> Probably hadn't been checked. So here I was, no spare wheel. The other teacher, I suppose, was a bit more experienced. She was an English girl. So we got local transport and put the 15 on to go and play their match. And then sent a message. Would you please send somebody back from your school, a driver, because... We worked a lot with drivers in all these schools to come back and see us and sent them back the 25 miles to get the spare tyre. 
So how did you get from there to meeting somebody like Ken Oh, Farrell? no, that would be, yeah, well, I would have done many things, you know. I um, Well, I spent seven or eight years, seven years in that school. I was helped with catch-up time in that I was invited to come back and do H-dip at home. But I said, no way am I leaving Nigeria. I have no Irish, so what am I going to do with the H-dip? So I got the brilliant idea, again, out of it completely, that I would go to the local university and do my postgraduate. Now, nobody had ever thought of that kind of thing. It was this kind of, I suppose, gift of seeing what was possible. And it was the last year of the Biafran War, even though we weren't close to it. So I came home on my first holiday and couldn't be kept, you know. So I'm back and I did my postgraduate diploma in education at the University of Ibadan, 67, 68. And I tried for another few years at this science teaching and I would have done a lot of extracurricular as well, marriage training for the A-level. You know, when you're teaching A-level, it's a beautiful age to teach because they're little adults at that stage and you're not following them and punishing them. And, you know, they're just, they're good. They're like, you're like your younger sisters, really. And they were the prefects, so they ran a good system. I just, I could not see myself as a science teacher for the rest of my life. And I could not see that that was what, that little picture of the missionary sitting under the tree teaching catechism to a group of small children. This, in fact, was not reality at all. Although we'd have been very strong Legion of Mary people, we'd have done lots of house-to-house visitation. We would have had maybe up to five presidia in the school. We'd have the young Christian workers. You name it, we had it. So there was a very thriving extracurricular pastoral programme. But I really had a dream that I either would get back to teaching catechism to my kids or that I would work with youth at parish level because I got on very well with the teenage, maybe 15 to 20 age group. And I did work with youth clubs and that kind of thing. That was the time when there was so much change happening. So it wasn't unusual for you to ask for what you wanted to do and what you felt comfortable. And it would be facilitated. There was no pressure on you to conform to something that you really didn't like, even if it meant them losing a very precious science teacher. I tried again after another three years. And for a while, the bishop of the diocese, who was an Irishman from Hollymount and Mayo, he was very open to the idea of working but said it'd have to be an evening job. And then this awful ethic of work, and what are you going to be doing all day? Was it reasonable that you'd give up, you know, a proper job, if you like, to work with youth in the... So he was willing, my superior in the house was willing, but I think his pastoral consultants were not. So that was turned down. So I was asked to think again. So I said, well, could I do religious education to get me out of... Oh, but you must have training for that. Would have been strong about being trained for your job, you know. Whether you like the job or not, you would be properly trained for it. So I was told to come home again to do Dundalk. And again, I went into imagining. And I said, but I hear there's a Catechal Institute in Uganda. And surely that is for African catechesis. So I was given permission, so I went to Uganda for a year. And it was in Uganda, I'd say, that a a huge breakthrough came because we did theology, which was great, but we did anthropology, which was the making of me because that taught me how to read Africa. 
and luckily the person who lectured in, in that was um, Whitefeather, Aylward Short, a quite well-known anthropologist. And oh, I just I just knew that that's my subject, if anything, culture and society. My sociology, psychology, that was what I was happiest at. So then wasn't I asked in the last month to come back to be the principal of a school for a year. So I said no, that I was so prepared to leave the congregation than to put myself into that trap again. Yeah. And I was so strong about it that they got scared and said, all right, we're not asking you to do that. They were desperately stuck. I had all the qualifications. But I just knew if I go in there again, out I will never come. Even in secondary school, one was dealing with a particular age group of Nigerians and you had very limited exposure to the adult population. You had very limited exposure to the politics and the economics of the country because you were responsible for 13 to 19 year olds in the education system laid down. So you had very little idea what was going on. Now, I suppose the Biafran War happened during that period I was in secondary school, but we were very far away from it. But lots of our students had to flee home. But there was no communication. It was only BBC World Service. You'd have an idea what was happening in Biafra. So even though I was there all those years, I was strictly in the very west of the country, and this was happening in the east of the country, of a very huge country. Anyway, Uganda was super, so when I refused with a threat this time of not going back into formal education, of the scientific variety at least. I then was offered work in a pastoral institute of working in religious education, which the diploma prepared me for in Uganda. It was a pastor and catechetical. So I was thrilled with this. I was back. It was in like a non-formal but formal employment. I was my own boss, if you like. So I went in there. I worked with a Jesuit as my boss and I took over from a Nigerian priest who had been also a very creative person and I again went on to enjoy my life but I was thinking just recently because I'd been reading Ida's essay that she's done and it suddenly dawned on me again I undertook there to try to look at the materials that were relevant for religious education because in 72 the year after I came back or while I was in Uganda, every school was taken over from the mission in 72. So it was a very key year for mission education in Nigeria, very key. It was under a military regime. One stroke of the pen, we woke up and our schools were gone. There was no legal process, nothing followed. So I suppose whatever was uneasy in me, I wouldn't have been going back to school anyway, because that was the end of us except in administrative posts. There was very few posts where you would teach. So 72, very key in the history of education in Nigeria. Um, what replaced you when they took the away state, all the The state, the state took over. Because, you know, there were a number of states, so it became state education. So it's the civil service if you were employee. We were well salaried now and well taken care of because it was a church-state partnership and it had been like that from the 60s, from independence. So it was never private, it was a partnership. There may have been some private schools, but... In our school, you got a grant every three or four months, and that covered all the salaries. The small little bit that the students paid would have probably looked after the maintenance and different things in the school, maybe books and things like that. 
there would have been no school to go back to, I think. But maybe as a principal or an assistant principal, it was an admin job, so you might have been in that. But in fact, that marked the end of missionaries and education in Nigeria. It marked the end of that. But fortunately, I had got another job in the Pastoral Institute, religious education. And you know, most things I went in didn't have a clue about. I learned on the job everything. And that's my best learning, is that way. And I'm not afraid of hard work and... I kind of have an incense, like I knew I'd never manage science, so I didn't fight it. So there's other things that you take on as well. And I'd know my limits, kind of. It suddenly dawned on me, we were waiting. There was a French priest who had produced Catholic textbooks for schools. And they were stuck in the ports for months on end. The school year would be over and the books wouldn't still be in. And I got it into my head. Well, why don't we write, publish and print, and everything in Nigeria. And you know, it's like Sarah Wee was starting his own publishing house. Just the, I was reading through when suddenly that dawned on me, just kind of that go after, that I had done 10 years before or more. And like it was an impossible dream, because now we had to produce ecumenical ones. And of course, nothing do me better than 10 churches working together for two weeks to produce 700 lesson plans. Like Now, my boss was very good. Somebody asked him one day, how does he keep track of me? And he just says, give her plenty of rope and when she pulls, let go. <laughs> I thought it was brilliant. But it was wonderful to have a boss like that because equally to me was an older man, a Methodist minister in the Institute of Church and Society which represented all the Protestant churches. And he had no problem with me at all. He thought I was wonderful because he was creative. He was go forward. So the two of us managed this whole pile of lessons and he was great. He got the contract with Oxford University Press and then he got, he paid for full-time editors, um, an Anglican couple and a Methodist couple, both English, there were four working on the editing and eventually it was produced and it eventually it was successful until the recession happened and the economy broke down and the states probably couldn't afford to buy religious textbooks but they're there, they're, we did them. So I did that for four years then went into teacher training and I was offered to continue that work but I said I don't know whether these things are working on the ground or not so I looked for a teacher training college where I could train people in the use of these materials and went in there for about three or four years. It was next to the University of Lagos. I decided again intuitively to do a master's in education curriculum studies and doing my thesis on a case study of the religious textbooks that we had done. You know, like formalising the story. I had that and I kind of stumbled on that like I knew that my future academic work could not be tied to science because I hadn't progressed along that path. But at least I was in education, I was in religious education, I was in formal education, even though I didn't particularly want it. But it was very creative, it was in the English language, it was all the time manageable, I wasn't dealing with equations and <laughs> those kind of things, you know. And I could work, good work in the social system that I was in. So I did my master's, that first master's, 
across the wall. I'm sure nobody ever really knew I was doing it and that was the time when there was an awful lot of missionaries leaving, going back to Ireland, leaving priesthood, sisterhood altogether, going, getting married. It was a very wonky time but I never really felt impacted by that. But I think what saved me was that I continued doing, following my own star. And then it's when I was there, I suppose that trouble getting somebody to supervise me. But the next thing they advertised for a methodologist in religious education and they called two of us for interview and I got the interview. So I went in on my own steam, probably very much against the wishes of my institute. But you see, it was the only way I could go. You know, personally, I couldn't survive if I didn't get what made meaning for me. And as a missionary, I thought it was super. I had settled for the second best. My first best had been pastoral work. That wasn't popular at the time. My second best was religious education. And I thought, what better than teaching people for secondary school religious education? So if you like, I'd stepped out of secondary school to try to replace myself with other people. Now, whether I was as clear about that, but it was very satisfying to me. And I just I had done now two degrees, three actually, one in Ibadan, postgraduate diploma in education. All Nigerian staff taught me. Second one was a mix of all in Uganda, diploma and pastor and catechetical. And then when I went to Lagos, it was all Nigerian staff again. And I just found them brilliant teachers. And I just, it was just no problem. And people would be looking at me, how could you do this? You know, an Irish person that couldn't believe that you'd settled down and that you felt you were as well educated there as anywhere else, you know. But to me, and then I never had to really give up my work. It was always part-time. I always had that, that unless it was very unique and very demanding, that postgraduate work should really continue to work. You know, you didn't have to take big chunks of time off for postgraduate until it became, if you're doing a doctorate, maybe you take two years to finish it or something like that. So it was there, actually. I w then I was the first coordinator of religious education within the Department of Curriculum Studies. So my head of department told me to design the programmes. And many a row I had with the Islamic fellow who was a lecturer who was in because, you know, I didn't quite understand Islam and he didn't quite understand. There's no such thing as philosophy. It has to be Islamic philosophy or Christian philosophy. There was no such thing as sociology of religion. It had to be Islamic sociology. Whereas I have been so aware that you know, the, these disciplines have grown up, you know, that you could study religion as a phenomenal. You know, I was very much into the phenomenological approach myself. The early years in, in the University of Lagos were great. It was well serviced, well everything. And then the recession from 81 onwards, deep, deep, deep. And I just got so disheartened. The students would be photocopying, like there were villages of photocopiers within the campus. And of course, when you got to master's level, everything that you were photocopying was out of date already. Because the military had a good intention. They said, everything has to be written and published in Nigeria, which I totally agreed with. But you had to give 20 years for that to happen, you know? It just didn't happen. A lot of instability with 13 coups during that time. I don't know how we kept going. So I was very sorry for the students altogether. So I then almost had to reduce myself to saying, well, in my courses, I'll make sure they understand a register of words that belong to that discipline. So that in 20 years' time, when things improve, they will have the language 
of the discipline. So it was in that sense that I designed a course called Theologies of the 20th Century and would have done a bit on feminist theology, a bit on black theology, a bit on justice theology and taught myself as I went along. But I didn't aim for much more than giving them 50 words in each discipline so that when things improved they would have those words to read with because there were just no books to read. So of course I was then in the field of justice of theology so that would have been what prepared me for. So that's that story.